But then once I found that there was this cryptocurrency that you could build applications off of, it seemed like such a confusing and new paradigm to me that I was like, I, I got I to gotta learn about this. What do you mean it's over? Hello? How can I help? Hey guys, welcome back to Parties Over Podcast. I'm Liz. And I'm Ashley. And today's episode is a very interesting one. It was way over my head, but I am excited for you guys to hear it so you can learn with me and Ashley. And me. I'm like, wait, (laughs) let's just be clear. It was over my head as well. Yeah, but you definitely... I watched one YouTube video prior to doing this, and unfortunately, I did not have enough time to send it to you before. That's the only (laughs) difference here, everyone. So Ashley sounds like kind of a superstar, and you won't hear me talk a lot, so disclaimer there, but I was there. We're learning about cryptocurrency today, guys. I feel like it's such a hot topic right now, and for the last couple of years, actually. And really, we want, we've, we'll say this in the podcast, but Liz and I's goal always for the podcast is to help I feel like once you're older, it's harder, you know, and you're out of school, it's harder to learn about subjects that you don't go out of your way to learn. You know, you don't just stumble across a lengthy informational thing on cryptocurrency very often or about nutrition unless you take the time to do it. So our goal is to really be a resource and a hub for you to get information that can help you be a well-rounded adult. And, um, Our goal for this episode is for you to be able to hold a conversation with someone sounding informed and educated if someone was to come up to you and talk about cryptocurrency. Really was our goal. I do feel much better about it now, like after listening, like talking during the episode, editing the episode, and now releasing the episode. I feel like if someone were to bring it up to me, you know, I could have a conversation yeah, that's. I feel like that's really the goal, and Will did a great job of helping us get there. Um, so, yeah, that's really what this episode was all about. It's not to necessarily make you like an expert in the subject. It's really if someone, uh, you know, you can you can know what's going on, and I think that's something we want to continue go continue doing uh, going forward with the podcast. So, if you guys have any other ideas for future topics you'd want to learn about, uh, let us know. Ashley was scrolling through LinkedIn, and we both have a former professor, Professor Watson, and Ashley, you're blushing. <laughs> I love, uh, I feel like I, we're buds now. Ashley and Bill were good friends for like three years, and she would come home from class and be like, yeah, he, yeah he's the professor, he's it. And then finally, I got to take one of his classes senior year. He shared a TikTok on LinkedIn of his son, actually, and that's how we had both seen the TikTok, and we were like, I think he should come on the podcast. So we have Will Watson joining us today, and we're going to be talking about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and investing and all that fun stuff. We are so thankful to Will for taking the time to come on. Will is um, very passionate about the subject. He's worked in the technology world for quite a while now and he really is passionate about he started 
he started his interest in cryptocurrency by being very interested in the technology used for cryptocurrency and that kind of sparked that interest and he talks a lot about how he's a very driven person and he's interested in finance and such so these two factors really mesh together and you know founded his interest for cryptocurrency so that's where he got started he's very he's invested in cryptocurrency and he continues to do so each week so he's well versed on the subject uh but with that being said let's get into the episode with will we are here to welcome will watson on the podcast and will is actually a funny story on how we know him one of his or one of liz and i's professors is actually his dad and we had a great relationship with his dad in college and that is how we formed the connection and he's going to talk to us a little bit about cryptocurrency here on this episode and we are so excited so thanks for joining us will yeah happy to be here looking forward to the talk and uh can't wait to tell my dad uh, all all about it <laughs> before it comes out <laughs> maybe he'll listen to it Oh, I, I guarantee you he's going to call me about, he knows when this ends. He's going to call me five minutes afterwards. Like, so, Willie, how'd it go? How were they? <laughs> he calls it, I think he jokes about like the pod or something. I think he has like a little, a little nickname for it. Very funny. But yeah, so can you start off by just telling everyone a little bit about yourself? Where did you grow up? Where did you go to college? What did you study? The whole, the whole nine yards. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Maine, kind of bouncing between um, Cape Elizabeth outside of Portland and then also the Farmington, Maine area in Midwestern Maine. But we moved around a lot. So I was actually born in Denver, grew up in Maine, moved around the south, up and down the East Coast a number of times. So, you know, people always ask me, like, oh, where I'm from. And I usually just say, like, like oh, I'm, I'm, I'm from Maine. Like, oh, you're, you're, you're from there. So you're born there and everything. I was like, nah, Denver. Like, wait, but where do you live now? Like in Boston, like, well, where were you before that? I was like, North Carolina. And they're like, you went to school in North Carolina. Then I was like, no, I went to the university of Connecticut. Uh, and because we lived in Connecticut, it was the only school I could go to and, and, you know, for the in-state tuition. Like, okay. So before Connecticut, then you were in Maine. I was like, now then Virginia. Um, and then, uh, you know, parents were in Jersey for a little bit. We were in Virginia, then we were back in Maine. And so it's, it's this long, like gypsy trail of moving. You're like, I'm <laughs> from the U S yeah. yeah, like I am from the U.S., mostly the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you moved around a lot, but, you know, Maine's where, where I call home, um, and that's where most of my family is. Uh, and then I already kind of answered the other question, like where I went to uh, schools. I, I did high school in, in Connecticut, and then I went to the University of Connecticut um, because I had in-state tuition. And, you know, mom and dad kind of sat me and all my brothers down. And, you know, when it was time for us to go to college, they said, hey, we have X amount of money to give to college. So choose wisely <laughs> or, you know, go out and take out loans and all that kind of stuff, which, which would have been fine. But um, I chose UConn. I studied international business with a minor in sales uh, and then, you know, started working uh, kind of in, 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 well, not kind of, but in the software space. So I've been working in the AI machine learning space as a as a sales rep for six years now and uh, currently called Boston Mahome. I feel so creepy because I definitely know where you work uh, through your dad. De- is it Dell EMC, right? Uh, no. So I interned at EMC and my other brother worked at Dell EMC for a while, but now he's in cybersecurity. Okay. But okay. at one point we were both at Dell EMC. That's so funny. Sorry, I'll be done now. This is just very, 
This is you're so like, funny. yeah, I knew where you grew up. <laughs> I, I, I knew all of that. <laughs> I knew I'm exactly realizing... how you were going to answer that. Well, you know, like a professor comes in and they tell you a bit about their life at the, you know, the intro and I have sons that are here and I'm hearing you talk and I'm like, oh, you know what? You're the son. I'm realizing now, but <laughs> that is a very interesting. So you've always kind of been in the cyber tech world and had some knowledge there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I never studied, like I was never an engineer. I never studied technology. I didn't, I didn't really know anything about it. Um, like from high school going into college, I didn't take any courses at all on it. The only thing I knew I wanted to do is I knew I wanted to do well in high school, which I was able to do. I wanted to do well in college so I could get a good job and make as much money as I could. Like those, those were my goals that I knew that I had since high school, but I just didn't, wasn't really quite sure what I wanted to do. Um, but I remember I, I was having conversations with my dad um i must have been in like middle school or something and i remember looking around and we started getting nicer things in the house so i'd be like dad uh how did we how did we get this stuff he's like oh well um you know your mother and i work very hard and fortunately we've been successful years have been good and we're able to afford these things I'm like okay what do you and mom do and you're like oh well we're, we're both in sales and i was like sales okay sales equals money equals nice things and as a middle schooler i'm like okay i'm gonna go do sales uh, i know so, the formula <laughs> yep. I was like, sales, money, things I like. Got it. Let's do it. Uh, so um, in college, I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And those are the internships I pursued. But um, it was my internship at EMC, actually, coincidentally enough, that was my first like foray into the world of technology. So you know, I was having conversations with IT directors about data storage and backup and or, you know, disaster recovery and cloud technology for the first time. And uh, you know, I didn't know anything about it. And I'm talking to an IT director on the phone who's expecting me to know everything. And so I was, you know, just kind of studying everything. But I kind of fell in love with the ever-changing space of technology because I realized I would never get bored with it. There'd always be some new forefront, some new exciting thing that I need to learn about if I wanted to, you know, sell and hit my numbers. Um, so that was when I first got introduced to tech, like technology. And that was the summer of my junior year and senior year at UConn. And then I started exploring like how to build PCs. And so I built my own gaming computer my senior year. I just like looking up videos on YouTube of how to do it and, and kind of got my hands on that. And all the companies that I applied towards were all in the tech space, either in hardware or software. And, and I ended up going into software because I thought the money was a little bit better. But, um, you know, that kind of piqued my interest uh, on technology. But I didn't find out about crypto tech, like, you know, like, I'd say crypto technology, like blockchain technology or cryptocurrencies until about 2017, you know, until, until 2017, when my roommate, who's an accountant, um, we just, he was, he was on his phone, he was on Reddit and he was like, Hey man, uh, a lot of people on Reddit are talking about Ethereum. And I was like, Ethereum. I was like, what, what the heck is that? And he's like, it's, it's, uh, apparently a, another coin, like, like Bitcoin, something like that. And I was like, okay, like, so it's a digital kind of money that you just spend and, and that's it. He's like, no, you, like you build applications off of it. And then that I was like, whoa, I was like, that's really cool. I was like, so then I dive into the research and I realized that people are talking about Ethereum because at the time in 2017, it was the hottest cryptocurrency. And um, I had known about Bitcoin since high school, but I never I hadn't invested in it at the time. But I knew it as like digital money. And I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. And I just kind of left it at that. But then once I found that there was this cryptocurrency that you could build applications off of, it seemed like such a confusing and new paradigm to me that I was like, I, 
I got to I got to learn about this. And so that's when I ended up diving into cryptocurrencies in 2017. But um, I actually kind of forgot the original question you asked me. So hopefully, <laughs> no, that was perfect. It actually so it leads kind of- really well to our next question because you're kind of starting to bring up cryptocurrency. Can you kind of give an overview for our listeners on what it is and kind of a definition of it? For most people, the only understanding you need of kind of what a cryptocurrency is, is a digital version of money that's not controlled or influenced in any way, shape or form by a bank or a government. So that'd be so like, you know, take take Bitcoin, for example, as the prime prime example of of what a cryptocurrency is. Um, It can't be influenced by a bank or a government in the sense that a bank can't freeze your Bitcoin. It can't like the IRS can't go and take it from you. The government can't stop you from sending it to whoever you want, wherever you want. Um, but then also like those are more extreme examples, but a more familiar example would be through inflation. So like bank, like central banks will decide to print X amount of money. Typically inflation rates are between two to 3% a year. However, you know, now because of the COVID relief packages, you know, inflation could be up to 15% a year. Um, so, you know, as a result of that, if you're looking at an asset like cash, your purchasing power there is going to decrease by 15% a year, potentially. Um, whereas Bitcoin, more Bitcoin cannot be printed by a bank or by a government. In fact, you know, with Bitcoin, there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin to exist in all of existence. Of that, about three or four million have actually been lost. So there will only ever be really in circulation about 18 or 17 million Bitcoin. So in that sense, a cryptocurrency is protected from a bank or from a government in devaluating or devaluing it uh, via inflation. So um, that's that's what a a cryptocurrency is. Um, However, once you start diving into the space, you realize that you know, there's a whole new world of cryptocurrencies outside of just a digital form of money. You have currencies like Ethereum that you can think of as a network to build applications on top of. So like hundreds, maybe even I'd say hundreds of cryptocurrencies have been built off of the Ethereum network. So like Ethereum in a case, it is a cryptocurrency that you can use as a digital currency, but at the same time, it's also a piece of technology that can build applications to, you know, help to send, like help to make improvements in the insurance industry or help to create exchanges that can't be shut down or turned off, like, you know, like like an asset exchange to like buy and sell. Do we have a real world example? We could just kind of break it down to a little bit more of a baseline level of, I'm trying to think in the sense of like website creation, like you have a certain application to build websites off of, but is there even a more generic example that the masses would understand? So imagine the way I'm thinking about it, I'm not sure if this is the best one, but it's the one that's popping up in my head. Like, uh, imagine if you went into like the Google Play Store or into like the Apple's. Um, I don't have Apple, so I forgot I forget the name. But like, you know, the Apple's application store, um, and you go in and you see every single type of application that you could possibly download. And if you're a developer, you could go into their tool base and create an application and make it available to the masses. Ethereum is just like the Google Play Store or you know the application store for for Apple where you can go into, you can build an application and release it to the public. 
Um, and, and since it's a cryptocurrency, uh, it's it's available to anyone in the system. There aren't any restrictions as to who can access it and who can't. So think of Ethereum as like the Google Play Store where you can go and you know get access to a toolkit to build apps or release them. Perfect. That makes perfect sense. Really what I'm gathering for you personally is this is kind of a mesh of two things you're very interested in with technology and just finance and things along those lines. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. It's a yeah. very happy marriage in my hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So what I'm also gathering with cryptocurrency is essentially it is a, I'll ask you this kind of later on, but just to get an understanding, essentially it's just a digital way of sending funds. So it would be universal, correct? So it would kind of eliminate the euro versus the dollar and how I'm picturing it is with Venmo, essentially, is a lot of times Venmo just sits in your account and you just transfer it back and forth mm-hmm. and obviously eliminate the the other things on the, you know, transferring into your account, actually. But really, when it's sitting in Venmo, it's not really worth anything until it comes out, but it's worth money to each of you. Does that make sense? Is yeah, that, that makes- how I could picture it? But it's, it's similar to like a Venmo or a PayPal, um, but I would view... I'm trying to be careful of my words here because there's the original reason why Bitcoin was created. And then there's the reason why I think it's really valuable today. And they're slightly different from one another. So I'll kind of explain what those two are and then I'll kind of dive into your question. Perfect. So Bitcoin was first created to be this new internet money, right? That can't be inflated into oblivion. Um, it's supposed to be like a hard version of money. And it can still be that. But I don't think it's a good use case today because it's such a volatile asset. And the reason why it's so volatile is because its market cap is so small. So you inject it or remove, you know, a couple billion dollars and and the value of it goes down by certain percentages. Whereas, you know, if it had the market cap of gold, you remove a couple billion dollars from gold then gold's price really doesn't move at all. So Bitcoin won't really be used as a form of currency, in my opinion, until that volatility decreases, which won't happen until its market cap is absolutely gigantic. Um, something that's sim- more, more similar to gold, if, if not larger than gold. So um, that's what it was really meant to do at first was to be that currency. But that's why I don't think it's really going to be used that way, at least um, for the majority of people who are going to be interested in Bitcoin. The people who will be interested in Bitcoin are people who are looking for a store of value. So with a cryptocurrency, the definition I gave originally was it's a digital currency, can't be inflated, yada, 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 everything I said before. But the best value for Bitcoin is not so much as a currency right now as it is a store of value similar to gold, except that it's better than gold in every way. So like as in, in terms of its usability and, and also in terms of it as a financial asset. So it's more transportable than gold. Like if you want to carry gold bullion around, like, you know, you're going to get jacked by the end of the or, or your arms are going to fall off. Um, whereas, you know, with, with Bitcoin, it can exist on the internet or you can store it on like a USB drive hardware wallet. Um, it's faster to send. So you can send Bitcoin from the US to China in a matter of minutes. Whereas if you tried to do that with Gold or other, even just you know, fiat currencies like the dollar, the yen, the yuan, the the euro, you know, it would take a, a number of days, and, and the transaction fees would be really high. Whereas in Bitcoin, it's minutes, and the transaction fees are really low. And then the other bit as well is since it's 
the only deflation as, deflationary asset to exist in the world because gold's price still uh, inflates about two to three percent every year because more gold gets mined. Um, it's even it's an even harder asset to protect your wealth from the inflation that's happening with with the U.S. dollar right now. So um, that's where I think the value is as an investor, um, and then the value of the technology is more so towards the cryptocurrency aspect because you know think of of remittances. So if like you're an, an immigrant in the U.S. or another country and you want to send money back to your family, uh, you don't want you know, the fees of the banks to cut into that amount quite as much. Um, so you would want to send your money back in Bitcoin. And you'd also want to make sure that that money got there quickly because, you know, it, it might be important to send that money back fast and make sure it's there. So, you know, remittances would be a popular uh, use of Bitcoin. And then, you know, in, in environments like uh, large portions of Africa or Southeast Asia, third world countries, people who like where, where banks aren't common, as long as they have a smartphone, because most of the people in those places do, and you have access to the internet, you can get access to Bitcoin. Like you don't need a bank. So, you know, there's a popular term in um, like the finance world, the fintech world of, of banking the unbanked. And, and Bitcoin's probably the best way to do that because you don't need a bank in the first place to, to kind of store your money in to get access to the financial world, which, you know, all, all of us, you know, at least the, the, the folks that, uh, you know, at least you, you, you guys and me, uh, you know, we've we've been born in a society that has access to banks and the financial system is set up. So we already have access to that capital, whereas, you know, other folks don't. So, um, again, I forgot the original question. I ramble. <laughs> no. So what we were trying to determine really is who who would use this? Because originally you were saying and we were discussing how it was created. And I think in a lot of people's minds, it would be a universal currency that you'd be able to transfer back and forth relatively easy. And it would be, yeah. So, but really what you're saying is it's going to be more of um, something similar to, like, you don't necessarily transfer gold back and forth between you and your friends, but it's of value. Does that, is that kind of the same? Yeah, right. On the same line? Yeah, Yeah, on the same lines. And sorry, I I get off top and I go off on all all these tangents. Um, So, you know, if you you guys just keep me in line, make sure I answer the questions. But um, yeah, I would say the majority of users, particularly in like first world countries, uh, is going to be using it as a store of value. Just kind of putting your money there so that it appreciates because um, Bitcoin on average every year doubles in value, even though it goes through these, you know, huge bull markets and these huge bear markets and the bear markets, it'll lose 70 to 90 percent of its value. But even though that's happened three times now, on average, every year its price has doubled. So, you know, long term, it's a really safe and smart, you know, use of, of or place to kind of store your money. Uh, and then outside of the first world, people will use it as a currency. So, um, you know, I gave examples of like people in a third world country want to get access to a financial system that is Bitcoin, but also, you know, countries that have a super high inflation uh, such as like Argentina, Chile, Zimbabwe. Today, they have inflation rates that are you know destroying the economy. And actually, those are some of the places that early last year had the highest buy rates of Bitcoin, as people were fleeing their native currencies to go into Bitcoin because they were suffering from inflation rates that were like 200 percent in the year. Um, so it gives you some control to your to your money. It gives you some choice, kind of. Is that is that 
true. <laughs> I don't want to like relay <laughs> this information that's in my thoughts and you guys mm-hmm. hear me and you're like, hey guys, I hear that Bitcoin gives you control of your money and that's totally <laughs> not real. Actually, that's a, that's a fantastic way of putting it is, is it gives oh you control gosh, of your money. You. You're such a good <laughs> learner. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. This is all kind of connecting now in my mind. I know this might be kind of jumping back, but for somebody who wanted to like get started in this world or just like looking to invest, like what would be your first, what would be your first recommendation for them? Yeah. So, um, I would suggest before you look to invest in anything, like understand what your goals are first. So any investor it's, you know, are you a long-term investor? Are you a short-term investor? Do you want a high risk portfolio or a low risk portfolio? Um, you know, like, like myself, I am a very like high risk on investor and and my plan is that, you know, I'm, I'm 28 years old. So I've had a very high risk portfolio since right after I got out of college. Uh, and then as I get older, I'm going to scale that risk back because I want to protect my capital. Uh, so, you know, for, for any new investor, understand what you want to do. You're trying to make a quick flip. Are you trying to save up for retirement? For most people, I would suggest saving up for retirement. So if you want to go into crypto, uh, understand that it's a very volatile asset class uh, and that it's a very like high risk on. Although I would say that Bitcoin, Bitcoin's a near guarantee, but I'm also heavily biased and also heavily invested in the space, everyone listening. Um, <laughs> so if you're looking to, to create a cryptocurrency portfolio and you want long term, I'd suggest looking at two coins right now, which is Bitcoin and Ethereum, the number one, number two. The reason why is... You know, just for, as being an, an, an investor, uh, you know, there's huge institutional demand that's growing right now. So you have like a company like MicroStrategy that buys 10 to 50 million dollars of Bitcoin like every week. And uh, you had Tesla earlier this week, although as this comes out, this will be later news. It might be even be another company that bought but Tesla bought one point five billion dollars uh, of Bitcoin, you know, two days ago. And that is going to be a huge catalyst um, for other organizations. So like, whoa, 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 Tesla just bought Bitcoin. Like, I really got to you know pay attention to this because you know now it's on the radar screens of you know like the Apples and the Microsofts, and you know Apple has something like two hundred billion dollars in cash on hand that they're pro- most likely looking to put into assets to protect from inflation. So. Um, for that reason, like there's Bitcoin. So there's a huge institutional demand and, and you know, um, potential ETFs coming down the line. And so as an investor, it'd be great for you to be invested in that. Um, that's also going to continue to deflate as opposed to inflate because the supply of Bitcoin is only ever going to be at 21 million. That's a pretty safe bet. The other thing is Ethereum for a long term investment, because Ethereum has hundreds of cryptocurrencies that are built off of it. And those cryptocurrencies require the developers and the users of those apps to also have Ethereum. So there's a big demand push there. Um, Like, in fact, you have billions of dollars worth of of Ethereum that's locked up in these other cryptocurrencies because, you know, they're also applications and you need to spend Ethereum on them to make them run. So there's a big demand just within the cryptocurrency space for Ethereum itself. So that, of course, makes the price go up. Uh, and Ethereum has a whole bunch of, of upgrades that are coming. So long-term investors, those are the two coins I would suggest you take a look at, do your research on, see which ones interest you the most. And, and, and you know, if that is kind of fits your, your risk portfolio. Correct me if I'm wrong, determining how much money you're willing to 
lose really is with investing in Bitcoin because you're saying it's a high risk medium to invest in. So determining how much money are you willing to potentially let go of? Yeah, with investing, particularly if you're doing short term investing, because you're trying to do like day trading or, or something like that, most often people lose at day trading. So when you lose, make sure it's not the amount of money that if you lose, you're not going to sleep for the whole week. Uh, you know, so make sure if if, you, if it's money that you're investing, make sure that if you lose it, you know, you're going to be fine. You, you know, you can get that back. So, uh, you know, with cryptocurrency and, and any investing kind of in any any market, don't invest more than you're willing to lose. Perfect. OK, I'm going to take a step back here. And we were talking about uh, so we've talked a little bit about different types of cryptocurrency and no, there's a few. Well, there's. A bunch, but just for the sake of this episode, what would be different? Could you tell us a few different types of cryptocurrency and really what would be relevant to talk about? Yeah, there are uh, a few categories of cryptos that are like really big in the market right now. The biggest being DeFi or decentralized finance. So a lot of these are cryptocurrencies that have been built off of protocols like Ethereum. So these are examples of this. Um, but there are coins like Aave and Compounds um, that have built a financial environment on top of it. Um, so what I mean by that is, is if you can go and use the Aave or the Compounds application, and what it does is it essentially turns you into your own bank. So what I mean by that is, you know, you go to a bank, you give them your money, you expect them to hold on to the money. But what the bank actually does is they take that money and they lend it out to other banks, they lend it out to other people, and they actually only keep a small fractional reserve of the money that you gave them at like at the bank. Um, and so what these protocols enable you to do, DeFi, and, um, or not DeFi, excuse me, uh, Compound and Aave, is they enable you to lend out your cryptocurrency to people. So I actually use personally the uh, compound application and I take another cryptocurrency. It's called basic attention token, but you can do it with a whole bunch of other ones. And I lend it out to people at a guaranteed rate of return. Um, it's an annual rate of return. It, it fluctuates based on demand. If so, it can be somewhere between like three to 24% annual interest rate on my basic attention token, which is then paid to me in more of that same cryptocurrency as well as I get paid in the compound token as well. And so um, I can lend out that currency, I get a guaranteed rate of return, and I get uh, collateralized assets that are worth the amount that I invested. Uh, I can also go and I can take a loan, like I can collateralize my cryptocurrencies and take a loan for cash or whatever really kind of assets I want if I really need money to either go continue to invest in things or you know, if I, if I need money immediately. And, you can do that without having to go through and get like a credit score approval or anything like that. Um, so you can do that through DeFi. So that's one example there. Um, it, there are a bunch of other things that it does in the financial space, but um, the only, actually the only other one I'll mention is Uniswap. <laughs> um, I'll try to make these answers shorter, but Uniswap, because it's like a decentralized exchange. So like if you could have a fidelity, but um, or any kind of brokerage and go on there and be able to buy any asset in the world, no matter what U.S. regulation or European regulation or Chinese regulation has to say about it, you can go do that. So I could go on Uniswap today because it's built on a decentralized platform off of Ethereum. And I can go and buy assets that haven't been approved by U.S. regulators yet. 
and I can keep that on the blockchain and everything's fine and dandy. No one can take it away from me. Um, and so that's another example. So that's DeFi. Um, another example would be oracles. So oracles, example, those are Chainlink, Band Protocol. There are a few others. Um, and their main purpose is essentially being a, a, a technical bridge. So they're a bridge between this blockchain technology space, which cryptocurrency is a part of, and traditional IT space, um, like traditional data storage and things like that, like, like an EMC. Um, and so what these Oracle cryptos do is they enable the passing of data between the two. So if you were like, a, you know, in, an insurance company, let's say, and you wanted to take advantage of blockchain technology and also use like a, a technology that already exists in the cryptocurrency space, you would use Chainlink's protocol or BAN's protocol to be able to bring your data over onto a blockchain and be able to provide some level of insurance solution or, um, you know, and anything like that. So, so that's why um, those two are interesting. And, and Chainlink's been uh, partnering with a whole bunch of companies in and outside of the crypto space. So, so Chainlink is by far, in a way, uh, the largest oracle. Um, and then the other one that I'll mention too is NFTs or non-fungible tokens. These are coins like uh, there's Engine Coin, there's Axie Infinity. Um, there are a few other ones I'm forgetting as well. Engine's my personal favorite. Um, but what these are is these enable the creation of individual uh, unique digital assets. So this could be an art piece. Like you could um, actually, you know, there was an art piece that sold, I think, for $750,000. It, it was an art NFT. And so what it is is you could like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because I'm also not a big art guy. Like I wouldn't pay a ton of money for a painting anyway. And so you have these like digital pictures that are selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so they're the only ones that exist. They're recognized by these very specific and unique IDs. And its entire history exists on the blockchain technology that supports cryptocurrencies. And so you can verify like, oh, hey, this is this picture that was created by Banksy potentially as like a form of digital art. And so you can verify that this is Banksy art. Uh, but then also you can have like a sword or a set of armor from a video game that is unique and it could be the only one that the developers ever made. It could be the most powerful sword in the game. Let's say it's World of Warcraft. And you can take that and either sell it to people on a marketplace and people can buy that one sword and give it to their avatar and use it. Or they can take that sword and keep it within their engine wallet. Engine has a wallet for this. And you can go and jump into another game like Skyrim and you can plug your sword into that game and you have the same sword as you had in World of Warcraft and kind of create this like really interesting gaming economy. Uh, and so like companies like Engine have partnered with Samsung, they've partnered with Atari, they uh, have a number of, of, of partnerships in the video game space. It just kind of makes like a really interesting kind of like gaming universe project. So, but those are, those are a couple that I'm interested in. And then of course I'm interested in Bitcoin and Ethereum and, other coins similar to Ethereum. I just feel like, honestly, this is all, it's very new to me. So I'm just like, I feel like I'm in a lesson and I'm just taking notes like, okay, after I need to look this up. <laughs> I need to learn about yeah. this. Sorry, I'm, I'm throwing a lot. I remember when I came into this, I knew I knew I rambled and I was like, all right, okay. well, we're going to have succinct, short answers. We're going to make this bite-sized. And then I just get on here. I'm like, blah. It's hard when you're also like passionate and excited and knowledgeable about something to hold yourself back. But, okay, so I have a few things to kind of break down what you said. A few words. So, one, 
lightheartedly, I'm realizing a lot of bit, a lot of cryptocurrency and like blockchain technology and stuff is really uh, about how much someone's willing, how valuable someone finds it, if that makes sense. So it kind of what it reminds me of is, you know how like really rich people love having the only thing of something. Does that make sense? Like they love that like, oh, this is limited edition. There's only one in the world. That's a lot of what I'm hearing you say about different things that are available with blockchain technology. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, very much so. Actually, in the 2017 bull market, there was this, I mean, honestly, it was kind of ridiculous, but people were spending tens of thousands of dollars on these. It was called, it was a project called CryptoKitties. And so what it was, it was essentially like, you could go and get, uh, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the name of it. It was a little toy we had. Uh, you could put it on a keychain and put it on your backpack. Everyone would play it. Tamagotchi. That was oh, it. yeah. Like, it was like you had, you could get your own little Tamagotchi. And so you could pull up on the screen and it had like its little animations and stuff. You could take care of it and yada, yada. And this was, this was a crypto kitty, but it existed on the Ethereum blockchain. And so many people were buying these unique crypto kitties that, you know, there was only one that ever existed of any type or maybe a handful of one type. And obviously, if there's one of one particular CryptoKitty, it was more and more valuable. But so many people were buying CryptoKitties on Ethereum that Ethereum had a hard time scaling. And when people wanted to do transactions on Ethereum, there's something called a gas fee. Like, so if you, you know, want to do a transaction on Ethereum, there's like a slight transaction fee is essentially the way I think of it. But the transaction fees were becoming massive because the entire network was congested with people buying crypto kitties. But yeah, it's the same kind of thing. There was this one little thing and it didn't really do anything. You couldn't touch it. It just kind of existed on the internet, on, on the Ethereum blockchain, but people were paying tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars. For it things. seems like that's what a lot of the investing on this platform is, is it's pretty much you, a lot of it seems to be around like, not necessarily Bitcoin and stuff, but like an ego-based system where it's like, this is as valuable as it is. As, as much as you're willing to pay for it, kind of. Um, but, okay, then I want to back up and say, can we talk about the difference between, or can we just discuss, you've, we've mentioned decentralized a lot, and I know there's centralized, so we are on a centralized system with money, correct? And I believe that's fintech, is that what you, is that right? Um, yeah, well, let's, let's is that back up. all related? Kind of, okay. And I kind of deconstruct it a little bit. So when yeah. I say centralized like I'll, I'll use it interchangeably so um i probably should explain it beforehand but if you're looking at a technology like like an it or like a, a company um if you go and use a company for a service that service is centralized because you go to that one company that one company has its it infrastructure and so centralization has some positives and it has some negatives to it. If you're a, a, a business, if you're a business, you can do things really quickly. You can make decisions, execute, go to market, you know, do what you want to do when you need to do it. But from a security standpoint, it's very weak. You know, there's a huge issue with hacking nowadays. And it's really easy to go and hack an organization because there's a central point to go and attack. Or in the form of currency, like if you're a person, like you are the centralized person who owns your money and therefore it's easy for the IRS to go and take it or for, you know, um, you know a, a government to freeze your assets, so on and so forth. So when I say decentralized, when I say decentralized in the form of blockchain technology, uh, I mean, um, like that's that's a reference towards the IT network essentially existing on 
hundreds to thousands of computers across the entire world. So there's no single point of failure. There's no single point where it can go get hacked. There's no single person to bring in front of a court to sue or question or like there's no one you can bring before Senate or Congress and ask them questions about about Bitcoin and, and why it exists and why you're attacking the financial system. But like there's, there's no one to go to um, because it's an autonomous, decentralized environment. There's no single leader. There's no one kind of steering the ship. It's just the protocol. Um, so that's what I mean when I say decentralized in the sense of of cryptocurrency um, is a reference towards that security, um, but is also a reference towards kind of like the technical landscape of let's just you know Bitcoin. Does that make so sense? Would, yes. Yeah, so would our in the U.S. speaking in currency terms, our centralization would be like the U.S. bank, like federal or whatever, like Federal Reserve or something like that, wherever they're like printing this money and determining inflation, would that be our like main point of centralization? And Everything kind of has to go. If you're thinking in terms of transferring funds from us to Canada, it has to go through them, correct? Yes. Yeah, so that's you know, how it's I centralized use, with us. Yeah, so that's, that's the way I think about it. Like I use Bank of America, so I would consider Bank of America a centralized entity for me to go and do all the things that you just mentioned. Okay, and then someone is Bank of America is centralized by someone else, right? If if we think of it that way, I mean, you could think of like the Fed, so like Jerome Powell running the Fed and okay. setting monetary policy as the centralization of mon- monetary policy, and then they of course can decide whatever they want to do with the dollar. Okay, uh, that makes sense. Yeah, so so that's how I think about it that way. So there's no one. So you guys can think of it in the sense when we're talking about decentralized that there's no one that really owns this and there's no one making really the rules to it. So that's where the difference is. Um, and then the second thing I want to touch on was blockchain technology. I know you've mentioned this in a few of your videos. Uh, can you just give a definition of what blockchain technology is and how it relates to cryptocurrency? Yeah, sure. So blockchain technology, I mean, everyone can just kind of think of it as a very secure database. Think of it as an unhackable database. Um, as blockchains get bigger and bigger, they become more secure and it essentially becomes impossible to hack. So think about it that way you know, from a technological standpoint. But then when it comes to cryptocurrencies, think of blockchain as the operating system on top of which applications are built off of. But in this case, applications are cryptocurrencies. So that's how I would think about it. So if you're a business, think about it as a really secure database. If you're looking to create a cryptocurrency or looking to get into cryptocurrency, it's the technology that cryptocurrencies kind of lean off of or, or, or lend from in order to get you know, all of the decentralized benefits that, that come with it, like being public and not being having like a single authority to say, we're going to print two more million of these things to you know, do X, Y, and Z with. So that's how I think okay. of blockchain. Perfect. All right, now I think we can get into some of those other questions. Probably the cons. We've yeah. kind of got, I feel like we've gotten to that subtly, we've, the benefits. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we've, we've definitely hit upon it a little bit. Um, I would say the cons, it was funny. I, I got that question, and being a heavily biased person about cryptocurrencies, I was like, cons. I was like, wait, what, what are you talking about? It's all good. Take, take your life savings, throw it in there. Don't, every, anyone who's listening, don't, don't do that. Um, Unless you want to, then go for it. It's on you. Don't do not do it because I said, said some good things about Bitcoin and, and then you lose everything. But uh, hopefully you don't. Anyway, the cons. I was trying to think about how best to answer this. And like when it comes to Bitcoin and, and, and Ethereum as 
a long-term investor, I really don't see any cons. Like I buy those two every single week, no matter what the price is at on Monday, my deposit hits good to go. I don't even think about it. Um, but you know, it kind of goes back to that question of, you know, what kind of investor are you? Cause you know, my plan is as I get older, I'm, I'm going to decrease the level of risk in my portfolio. And you know, for the folks who, who don't know, you know, my dad, like, like you guys do, you know, you know, dad's getting close to, to 80. And so, you know, he doesn't need to be in a high risk asset class. You know, he's, he's got his cash. He, he's, he's invested. He's getting, you know, his five to 8%, you know, every year, which is standard if you invest according to like the S&P or like a mutual fund or whatever. And he's good with that. He's able to live a good life. So, you know, for the folks who don't need to be exposed to a high risk asset class, like, I mean, you, you don't need to be in cryptocurrencies. Um, you know, if, if you want to take, one percent of your portfolio and put it in there just to be exposed to it and to add your diversification great uh you know i think diversification is is really important and you know i'll, I'll be looking to diversify more in, in the next you know one to two years personally so you know for those people you know cryptocurrency is not really going to be your jam right because out of all of the you know, 1,000-ish or 1,000-plus cryptos that exist, 95 to 97% of them are hot garbage. They are not good investments, and if you buy them and hold on to them, you are going to be way down on your money um, when this thing, yeah, when, when a, a corrective market ends up uh, coming, which is definitely not something I've experienced for sure in my life. Um, definitely not. No, didn't, didn't make those mistakes. Um, so that's what I would say is, is the con. It just kind of depends on the investor who you are. Would you say that, I know this is a pro to some people, but to others, the fact that it's not regulated by anyone, would that be considered a con? So I would say, again, it kind of goes towards your risk. There are coins that I don't own because I'm worried about crackdown from U.S. regulators. So there are privacy coins out there. Um, so, so actually, actually, before I get into, so there's one misconception that, like, on the Bitcoin network, you can send money and no one knows who you, who you are. There is a certain level of anonymity on Bitcoin, but it's a public ledger, so you actually get to see every single transaction that happens. And the majority of people who buy Bitcoin buy it directly from their bank, and the bank then knows what your Bitcoin address is, and most likely they they know and can tell you know, the, the government, if you were doing something shady with your money, what you were doing with your money. So it's not as autonomous. However, there are private cryptocurrencies that performed really well as an asset class in the 2017 bull market, but I don't own any of them personally, because I'm worried that if I have them, the SEC is going to come out and be like, hey, all exchanges who have these cryptocurrencies delist them immediately, or like, you know, you're going to be fined like crazy. Um, and anyone who owns these, like, you know, this is, it's not, you're going to be in some trouble um, because these private coins actually do make it so that you're 100% anonymous. Um, and that's obviously not good for governments who, who want to be able to collect taxes and also, you know, fight money laundering and, and, and fraud and, you know, make sure that terrorists aren't getting money and things like that. Um, so those are coins that I don't own at all. Um, but Bitcoin has been, Bitcoin and Ethereum have been marked I always mix it up, but it's like not as securities um, by the SEC. And so if you go to an exchange in the U.S., so actually, you know, Liz, this goes back to one of your questions, like people who are looking to get started, if you want to get invested, there are some U.S. exchanges that you can go use that have been approved by the U.S. to do business in the U.S. And every single coin that they list has either been approved by the SEC or uh, fits a particular guideline where it's like, 
95% certainty that, you know, they're going to be approved. And those are, you know, sites like Coinbase and Coinbase Pro, sites like Binance.us, and another site called Kraken. So you can go and use those three if you're a U.S. citizen, and, and you know, the risk of regulatory pressure is, is very low. Um, but having said that, like, you know, the crypto space, it's still the wild, wild west. There needs to be some regulation, uh, honestly, if, if it's going to be, you know, adopted more so into traditional finance, which a lot of cryptocurrency people are probably going to scream at me for because they want to be completely autonomous from the man, you know, screw those guys. We don't need them. And I'm over here as an investor. I'm looking at those guys. I'm like, yeah, I'm here for the technology. It's great. And then I look at, like, you know, the traditional finance. I'm like, oh, there's trillions of dollars there and I could really use a, a, like a new car <laughs> or something. So can we connect it? Let's connect it. That's ah, worth it. My greed wins out. But um, so, yeah, that would that would be my, my response about, about regulation. I think I would like to ask, um, I know you said some websites in there for people to kind of get started, um, but are there some places that someone they want to get into the world and they just need to do like some research and learn about it, like somewhere where you learn about these things that you can recommend to our listeners? Yeah, so I listen, so I actually go to YouTube for this, for, for my education. I have two, eh, three YouTube channels that I go to. There is a technical YouTube channel, which is run by an engineer. Like he's a coder. Uh, he can really dive into details. That's uh, Ivan on tech. Um, and so I really like him to give like a technical aspect on each crypto project and he really breaks down the technology. Um, and then from a macro investor, or like a long-term investor, there is data dash, another YouTube channel. You know, he's not like pitching a particular coin or something. He's trying to take like a really macro view on like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. He also dives into traditional finance and monetary policy and how, what, what the Fed Bank is doing is, you know, uh, um, how it's influencing like the Bank of Japan and how that affects. So he's he's like a global economics person. Uh, and then kind of a happy medium between the two. Uh, he's kind of like most of my goofy nerdy friends. So I think I just kind of like appreciate like, listening to his videos every morning um, is Crypto Lark. Uh, he's based out of New Zealand, but he's just like a happy medium between like technical and you know, there have been some nights where I'm up at three o'clock in the morning looking at my crypto balances. Like it's gone up 20%, but then down 35%. I'm just there like sweating in my bed. And he's like, it's going to be fine. He's like, a, he's like a nice voice, come of reason. But then he also educates you on the markets and like a macro perspective too. So those are the three YouTube channels I'd recommend. And then otherwise, you know, there are a bunch of white papers out there that each crypto project um, uh, publishes uh, by by the main team of developers. So there's the Bitcoin white paper, Ethereum white paper. If there are any projects that I've mentioned that you're, you know, folks here listening are interested in, you can go onto their websites and, and, and download their white paper, which will talk about kind of everything that they're that they've done and everything that they're looking to do, and, and is a really good source of information as to kind of like what they're about. Great. Well, we'll have some of those resources listed in the show notes. Oh wait, I also have a question for you. So I did. This might be too much, but guys, we're also so sorry. I know that we've like asked these questions. We're just asking them as they come into our brains. Uh, so I also know that there's only a certain amount that's in circuit. At, so there's only a certain amount that's in circuit right now, correct? But there's going correct. to ever be only 18 million. Do you know how much is currently out there? Um, that it, it is known. You can go and you can Google it. I, I don't know the number completely off the top of my head, but... um. One other thing that I actually do want to explain that we didn't touch on is, yeah. and I'll do it really quickly, is the Bitcoin halving. 
which I think a lot of people have like heard mention. It was a big, big topic that was talked about last year. So, um, and this plays into why Bitcoin's deflationary. So every four years, actually I'll backtrack, every single day, a certain amount of Bitcoin is released onto the market. That's quote unquote new, but it's from that total $21 million number. And it's released by Bitcoin miners, which is a different topic that we can get into if you would like. Um, and so every four years, the total amount of Bitcoin that's released each day is cut in half, which is called the halving. This is something that's just written into the code of Bitcoin. It's not something that anyone decides because there's no centralized authority figure, right? So it's just the Bitcoin network says, okay, cool. These Bitcoin miners who are helping to make sure the Bitcoin network runs smoothly will be rewarded half of the amount that they've been rewarded today. And four years later, it'll be another half. It'll be another half. It'll be another half. So today, it, like the Bitcoin award is, I think, 12.5% or 12.5, not percent, 12.5 Bitcoin. Uh, and so the average amount of, of daily supply is getting cut in half every four years. Um, so that's what the Bitcoin halving is. And so that's why Bitcoin's deflationary. It's called deflationary, even though technically more Bitcoin's being added to the market. So the total supply and circulation is increasing. But I think it's by the year of um, 2120 something like that, the final Bitcoin will have been mined and released to the public, and then the inflation rate will be zero. So that's what the Bitcoin halving is. But I also mentioned Bitcoin mining. Do you, do you guys want me to get into that a little bit? Well, so quickly, so I looked it up, and there are currently, as of December 17th, 2020, 18.5 million Bitcoin that have been mined. Also, can I ask, okay, I just want to see if I'm gathering this before you tell us, and okay. we'll cut this out, about mining. Is it a I did a little research before, but, you know, I don't really fully gather it. Is it like a long, essentially like equation that has to get figured out? And if so, I don't understand how, like, how does it not just get figured out? Does that make sense? Like, what's the point of having this equation? Yeah. Like, who cares? Does that make sense? Why don't you just like set a timer and like release mm -hmm. it? Does that make yeah, sense? So, yeah, no, no, that, that makes sense. So think about uh like so you know bitcoin it's 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 a currency right and so it's meant to, like so i want to send it to you and then you want to take money and send it to liz and liz you want to send money back to me right so there's a circle of money being exchanged but like what makes that actually go like what's the energy like what's the so it's, it's like an engine that had like the pistons removed so if, if you don't know what the energy source is so i think of like what makes that system that circle of money transferring work is Bitcoin mining. So what Bitcoin mining is, is just like you said, it is an, it's the world's largest constant international mathematics competition that has billions upon billions of dollars invested in it by the people who want to win. And so transactions get processed on that Bitcoin cycle like I mentioned by people putting energy into this mathematical computation. And so people have bought thousands of they have huge computer farms and server farms that are dedicated to having the largest computational power possible to be able to solve this mathematic problem faster than anybody else in the world because if they solve it faster than anybody else in the world they get the bitcoin mining reward which in this case is you know 12 and a half bitcoin but if they lose it then someone else gets it um and and you know if you have a, a better chance of solving it quickly if you have a, a massive essentially like Bitcoin mining farm, if you will, which are just you know thousands of servers kind of attached to each other trying to calculate this problem. And so the energy that goes into that and the solving of the mathematical equation provides an, a reward and incentive to these Bitcoin miners. 
And then more and more people want to become Bitcoin miners to get these incentives because Bitcoin's value is increasing, which increases the size of Bitcoin, uh, which makes it more secure uh, as, as a blockchain. Because one of the things I mentioned before is the larger a blockchain is, the more secure it is, uh, and, and the more of a, a technical advantage it provides. So I'll pause there. Did, did that make sense? It does. Okay. So the reason that the equation exists is it's essentially the equation is not really valuable to anyone except for the people that unlock it. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So really it's like, I don't know. Okay. It makes sense. Someone really just tried to, whoever created this needed like a way to create like a, a way to, to get it without buying it. Does that make sense? And that was kind yeah, of an well, odd way to No, I mean, I mean, you pretty much got it right. Um, the person who created this is, is a person by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto, by the way. Um, and it's most likely not one person. It's most likely a group of people. And no one knows their true identity. They've disappeared. Um, and so Satoshi Nakamoto, when he or she or they coded Bitcoin, needed an incentive for people to create computers to help run the network and needed an incentive for people to want to expand the network because a, a, a blockchain... And Bitcoin's a blockchain. A blockchain, if it's small, is really vulnerable to attack. But if it's large, it's impossible to hack. And so there needs to be an incentive program to make it large. This is true for every single cryptocurrency. Now, they, they all kind of run and operate a little bit differently than Bitcoin. Some of them are vastly different. But there's always an incentive uh, program, if you will, in it. And in the case of Bitcoin, it's Bitcoin mining. So people set up these farms. They get hit with the Bitcoin mining, and that's their incentive to continue to expand their server farms, increase the amount of nodes on the network, which therefore increases the security of, of Bitcoin. Makes sense. Okay, guys, and just to summarize that, in thinking of it in mining, in the sense of the very literal term that we think of mining for gold, is someone's in a back room, and I don't really mean this literally, like typing away to figure out this equation. I know this isn't actually what happens, but you can think of that. Similar to someone who is chipping away at that stone to find the gold. Is that a good comparison to think of it in layman's terms? Yeah, that works. That works. Okay. Just, just that one coder is just a million computers. Right. <laughs> I'm picturing and, like, the meme of SpongeBob and he's like running around and there's fire. <laughs> he's like, I gotta get yeah, through, through the filing cabinets. Yeah. What's his name? What's his name? We forgot his name. Yeah, I, hope that, I hope whoever created this is really just like sitting pretty and making fun of the fact that we have created this full world that they're like, haha, you guys all just think it exists, but it doesn't exist because really it's all nothing's physical. And it's so funny that they've created this whole this whole thing. And anyways, it's very ironic. Honestly, I feel smarter after this after this episode. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I can't say you feel confused. No, I'm glad that we have it recorded because when I'm editing and then I can listen to it after, I can really digest the information and feel like I really am knowledgeable about it. I feel like I leveled up today. I'm someone who could hold a conversation with someone about Bitcoin and one hour ago, 100%, I could not. I would have no idea what you're talking about. It was something we really needed to learn about and I'm glad it's on the podcast. Y'all were picking up on these topics much faster than I was when I was kind of researching this stuff on my own. So <laughs> you guys will be teaching me soon. Yeah. <laughs> we will leave some 
resources in the show notes with some YouTube videos and some just different informational uh, resources for you guys to look at. Also, I know that you make TikToks about a lot of these topics. So if you want to plug your TikTok for our followers and um, anything else that you want to plug. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, as they mentioned, you know, I, I post short one minute clips on various blockchain technology videos and or, or concepts, I should say, and, and different cryptocurrencies to invest in. And you can follow me on TikTok and on Instagram, which are the same at William.Watson underscore IV. Uh, and then also go and check out the YouTube videos I sent because the folks at Datadash, CryptoLark, Ivan on Tech, they're, they're really fantastic if you want to get in-depth analysis on it. Perfect. Well, Liz, that was a good one. Let's go buy some Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. Yeah. (laughs)